How great is our God. That is our prayer and our plea that all will see how great is our God. Today begins a new sermon series that we'll do on Sunday mornings through the summer. And it's entitled Jesus and blank. Yes, Jesus and relationships is how we're starting that off. And that really is the theme. Jesus and his relationships with individuals while he was here on this earth. But I've entitled this series, Jesus and Blank, (laughs) because I want us every week to fill in that blank. And so it's going to be Jesus and the apostles, for example, next week, or Jesus and his family on Father's Day later this month, or Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, or Jesus and Pontius Pilate and how Jesus interacted and related to people while he was here in this life as a man. And I think that that can help us see how we are to relate with others and how Jesus relates with us today. And so, yes, nothing goes in that blank on the introduction line. We'll fill it in throughout the summer with the special relationships and encounters that Jesus had with people during his life and his ministry. The source of all relationships, and this is where we start today, the source of all relationships is the nature of God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Godhead three in one, Father, Spirit, Son, we just sang. I believe that the nature of God And the way God relates with himself is the source of how we relate to each other and how we relate to our God. The source of all relationships is the nature of God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Rusty has led some wonderful songs today to remind us of this great truth of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Today, we begin with the source of his relationships with us and with others. Again, it is the source of all relationships. And so I want us to speak about this difficult topic of the nature of God and how God is in relationship with himself and how that is the source of all of our relationships today as well. So we begin with a word that's actually a very biblical word, even though it's not specifically in the Bible, and that is the Trinity. The Trinity, that Godhead three in one, as we sang, Father, Spirit, Son. And even though that word is not specifically used, I want us to see for a brief moment or two this morning how filled with that teaching and that doctrine Scripture truly is. There are many examples that we'll uh, mention on your handout, on your outline today. Hopefully you can access that if you're watching online as well. And there are others that we will not turn to. And we might mention out loud or just let you follow up with some of your continued study. But it begins in Matthew chapter 3 and in Matthew chapter 28. As Jesus is uh, baptized, we know that story. Uh, John tries to talk him out of it, but in that scene, we see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, the Father, with the voice coming down from heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God, the Son, the person of Jesus, right there 
in flesh and blood being baptized and God the Holy Spirit coming down upon him in the shape or form or like a dove. We see that in Matthew 3. And in Matthew 28, Jesus gives us our marching orders in the, gate, in the Great Commission. He tells us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when you read those words in Scripture, in the name of, that means by the authority of, that means because of, that means in order to recognize and reverence this authority, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There are other passages that we will turn to, and one of those is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I wanted to just read through some scriptures today that help us to understand that in the New Testament writers' minds, as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, this person of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit was clearly, clearly indicated in what they wrote. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 4, as Paul begins to write about how these miraculous, extraordinary gifts were dividing the church at Corinth and gave further teaching on that in chapters 12 and 13 and 14. He says this in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, Jesus Christ. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians, at the end of that great book, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, as Paul gives his blessing and prayer of blessing as he ends that letter, he says this in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Again, turning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit through the belief in the truth. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And as Peter writes 1 Peter and begins that great letter in chapter 1, he says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see that time and time again reflected in the teaching of the New Testament, even in Colossians chapters 1 and 2. As Paul writes to the Colossian Christians and he tells them, don't settle for something less than the inspired and authoritative word of God. Don't settle for some of the philosophies and teachings of the day that are going around. Just like today, they were going around then in the first century. And instead, he says, trust yourself to Jesus Christ. Why? Because all the fullness of deity dwells within him. 
To say that about anyone else would be blasphemy. And to say the things that we just read in those scriptures would be blasphemy. Unless, unless that was the truth about the nature of God. God is the only one to be worshipped. We're reminded that the first of the Ten Commandments is, you shall have no other gods before me. And to worship anyone other than God, anything other than God, was punishable by death according to the old law. And now for the New Testament writers to say, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, helps us to understand the nature of God in a way that we couldn't understand it before. Father, we love you. We worship and adore you. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Jesus, we love you. We worship and adore you. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Spirit, we love you. We worship and adore you. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, counselor, comforter, keeper. Spirit, we long to embrace. Almighty, infinite Father, faithfully loving your own. Those songs are about the nature of God. Those songs affirm the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But let's focus then on the rest of our time on the special relationship that Jesus had with God the Father, with God the Holy Spirit. As we look ahead to these lessons on Jesus and the different relationships that he carried on in this life. First of all, Jesus and the Father. Jesus and the Father. We're going to be looking in the Gospel of John in just a moment, but first some of these scriptures that you see on your outline as well. In Matthew chapter 1, before he's even born, it's announced that Mary is with child, but she is not with child in the natural way. It is the Holy Spirit that has come upon her. And so the son that will be born to her will be called the son of God. And as Matthew records that, he uses that great passage of prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7. And he says, this child will be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Again, for anyone else to say that or to claim that, it would be blasphemy. It would be punishable by death according to the law. But to say that about Jesus was not blasphemous at all because it was true. With the presence of God through Jesus Christ, he was aptly called Emmanuel, God with us. On the Mount of Transfiguration in in Matthew chapter 17, we see that special relationship between Jesus and the Father as he's transfigured. Uh, before the three apostles and also Moses and Elijah, two of the greatest characters in the Old Testament. And then the voice from heaven echoing, booming, saying, this is my beloved son. Peter, don't worry about building houses for everybody. You listen to my son. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. That touching scene in Mark 14 when Jesus is just passionately, emotionally 
burdened with what is about to happen. And he prays to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. And as he does that, he uses that special name for God, that very close personal relationship, Abba, Father. A name that he allows us to be able to take to the Father through our prayers as well. In Philippians 2, it says that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and hold on to, but made himself nothing, emptied himself, and took upon human form. And even though he was still God, the Son, in that human form, he had taken on our plight as well and was 100% divine and yet also 100% human. That wonderful passage, Revelation is a book about worship. And one of the great passages of worship in Revelation is chapters 4 and 5. And it's interesting that in chapter 4, it is God the Father, the one on the throne that is being worshipped by John and by the elders and by the angels and by all of those present. But in Revelation chapter 5, it is the Lamb of God looking as if he had been slain. Not this powerful, strong lion that he's referred to sometimes, but one of the weakest lowliest creatures God has created. And not just a lamb, but a lamb that looks like he'd been killed because he had been. The last person you would think, the last thing you would think would draw the worship and the praise and the reverence of everything that exists in this world and and, in heaven. And yet he did in every bit the same way that the one on the throne, God the Father did in Revelation chapter four. Worthy, worthy is the lamb, they cried in Revelation five. But I want us to look at several scripture passages in the gospel of John today as we continue. This special relationship between Jesus and the Father. John chapter one, beginning in verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness is not overcome it. This word is creator. This word is eternal. This word is God. With God was God. This word is that powerful light. Remember in Genesis chapter one, God said, let there be light. And then he gave life to humanity as well. Skipping down to verse 14, John clues us in on who that word is. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Continuing to read in John 1, verses 17 and 18, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father. He has made him known. And the word was God. In John chapter 8, Jesus is in conflict with the Jews and their leaders. And there's this almost a whole chapter of discussion where 
they're going back and forth about things. And a few verses to highlight, John chapter 8, verses 18 and 19. Jesus says, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Verse 54. Jesus told them, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Verse 58, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones, verse 59, to stone him. Why did they do that? Because they got it. They didn't believe it, but they understood it. Here before them stood a man who claimed to be the God of Abraham. Here before them was a man who took that special name of God that Moses received at the burning bush, the great I am. That name that became so sacred that the Jews would not Speak it. And so all we have are the letters that make up that name. I am. And yet here Jesus is. And he says, even before Abraham was born, 2,000 years before he makes this statement, before Abraham was born, I am. And he got the reaction we would exactly expect if he claimed to be God. And that is they picked up stones to stone him. Because that's what the law said to do when someone blasphemes the name of God. But in Jesus' case, it was the truth. We continue reading in John. In John chapter 10, beginning at verse 27. John 10, verse 27. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then John 10 verse 30, I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus goes on and talks to them about that. And then he says, why, in verse, the middle of verse 36, why do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Again, they tried to seize him. Jesus called God his father and said, I and the father are one. 
in John 12, Jesus has this great experience uh, where Andrew and Philip try to bring some non-Jews, some Gentiles, perhaps God-fearers to him. And Jesus says this in verse 23, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And he tells us exactly what that means. It means he will be put to death. And then he says in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Chapter 14, beginning at verse six, in this interaction between Jesus and his apostles shortly before he died, he says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you will know my Father. But from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said what we would all say, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Again, in chapter 17, as Jesus leads this great prayer, he says this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all the people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And then he prays this at the end in verses 20 through 23. My prayer is not for them alone, just these disciples. My prayer is for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The incredible thing about Jesus being one with the Father is that he invites us into that relationship as well. And then one final passage from John 20, verses 24 through 29. This is that time when uh, one of the disciples, Thomas, that we call Doubting Thomas, who wasn't with them when Jesus appeared the first time, had his questions, had his doubts. And he said, I've got to be able to poke my hand into his side where I saw that spear go through. I've got to be able to put my fingers in the nail holes. And then Jesus comes before them. And he says uh, this, in verse uh, 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. For anyone else, that would be blasphemy. In fact, in Acts 10, uh, Peter refuses to allow Cornelius to worship him. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas do the same in Lystra. In Revelation 22, an angel there that had impressed John so much refused to accept his worship. But Jesus never refused. My Lord and my God. Finally, we turn to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. This wonderful part of God that lives and dwells within us today. Just as David quoted from Isaiah 41 during our shepherd's prayer time, 
that incredible promise from God, you don't have to be afraid, I am with you. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 28, verse 20. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And he says this in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, Jesus says. Throughout the rest of John 14, 15, and 16, and even in his prayer in chapter 17, Jesus promises that advocate, that counselor, that comforter, that keeper, that Holy Spirit. And he says, you will have my presence and it will be through God the Holy Spirit several passages of scripture there as well as we remember Acts chapter 2 and that great call from Peter repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit we turn to other passages in 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 verses 21 and 22 Paul says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Again, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And in this case, God the Spirit is inside of us, dwelling within us as children of God. We continue on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Turning forward to the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And then finally, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul makes it very plain that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and that that should affect how we live. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. No, we don't understand everything about that. Certainly can't understand everything about it in one little old sermon. But we believe it because scripture teaches it. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit, who now dwells, amazingly enough, inside of us. Well, a couple of questions or a question and an answer or two as we close today. I get asked this question a lot and have through the years, through the decades of preaching. 
Why did God create humanity, Bill? If God knew the way would be difficult, if he knew the, the narrow path is the one, if he knew that the majority of people wouldn't hear that call to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him, but would rather live selfishly in the ways of this world, why would God create humanity to begin with? If he knew that the vast majority of people would be lost, not saved, because they would not believe, because they would not choose to give their lives over to God and to live by faith, unselfishly loving their neighbor as themselves. Why would he do it? Why would God create humanity? And this is my response. God created humanity for the same reason that Jesus died for humanity. Because he wants to be in relationship with us. God didn't create humanity for the ones who would be lost. He created humanity for the ones who would believe. Because he wanted so desperately to be in relationship with us that he created us. And then when we failed to maintain that relationship, he gave his one and only son. As a reminder, as our shepherd Jay Bynum led us in our communion time today, this wonderful reminder of the blessing of being in relationship with the eternal God and a reminder of the price that was paid so that we could be close to God. Why did God create humanity? Same reason Jesus died for humanity, because he wants to be in relationship with us, because he wants to be close to us. As God the Father in the Old Testament, God the Son, Jesus of Nazareth in the Gospels, God the Holy Spirit dwelling within us now in the days of the church. And so we say and we sing, I stand, I stand in awe of you. Holy God, to whom all praise is due, I stand in awe of you. Let's stand and praise our God together.